is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi there, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 558, recorded on Monday, November the 1st, 2021. Well, to quote Cheap Trick, hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to The Talking Dead podcast. Jason, how's the time been treating you lately? Uh, it's been treating me like I kicked its dog, Chris. Jeez, <laughs> that's not good. Nobody likes their dog getting kicked. <laughs> no, and that's how life is treating me at the moment, but everything's good. Otherwise? Oh, all right. So you kicked life's dog, but you're still doing okay. Yeah, I wouldn't kick a real dog, but that's how they're treating me. All right. Well, that's good. I wouldn't want to hear you, you've kicked any real dogs. Oh, but never. Well, good to be here, everyone. Um, we are going to be talking about three episodes of Fear the Walking Dead today. And the whole point of that is to get caught up, to get up to date so that we can start from here on in doing kind of like a twofer for with world beyond and with fear as they progress into their respective seasons. But that means today we have to do all three of the first for season seven of fear. So are you ready, Jason? I'm ready. I love a good threesome. Are you? <laughs> I'm sure you do. I That's was what gonna... we call it, right? When you watch three episodes in a row, it's a threesome. Well, what else would it be called? It's not a, it's not a twosome. It's a threesome. Exactly. Okay. Well, uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a threesome here, everyone, today. So I hope you're ready for that. And I do want to start, though, really quickly, since this is the first time we've talked about season seven of Fear, is just say a couple words about season six, just in case uh, you forgot there was a season six, Jason, or anything like that. I'm pretty sure there was a season six. Yeah, okay. Well, my feelings on season six were that it was okay. Some of it wasn't actually too bad after the disastrous season, season five, really. Yeah, yeah. But then they didn't really stick the landing on season six. I was somewhat disappointed with the way the whole season finale wrapped up for that season. And of course, if you watched it, which most of you probably did, or at least heard us to talk about it, uh, a nuclear bomb went off. Or, or multiple bombs went off at the end yep. of season six of Fear. So that happened. It sure did. Yes. It happened like super hard. <laughs> it really did. Uh, and that was, I sort of knew that was coming watching season six of Fear, but maybe deep down I never really believed that it was actually going to happen, but then it did. And maybe that contributed to my feelings towards the end of that show. Uh, but yeah, so nuclear explosions at the end of season six of Fear, and here we are to start season seven having to not really deal with that, but sort of live in that world a little bit, right? Yeah, we are definitely uh, living in that world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's, very, it's very clear. It's very obvious, but we'll talk about that. The one other thing I wanted to just say is that since we've been jumping back and forth between Fear and world beyond I, I do have a little bit of feedback from listeners about world beyond which isn't relevant to today's podcast so i'm going to hold on to that maybe next week when we get back to talking about world beyond i will bring up some of that but as we go through this um there is some 
you know, emails and a couple of calls from people about fear. So you might hear yourself there. And if you don't hear yourself because you were talking about World Beyond, stay tuned. Maybe that'll come next week. That sounds great. Doesn't it? I'm so well organized. <laughs> or something. I don't know. So, Fear the Walking Dead Season 7, Episode 1 is called The Beacon. Episode 2 is called Six Hours. And Episode 3 is called Cindy Hawkins. Now, covering a lot of episodes of the same show, I find trickier than usual, like doing a normal podcast. Because my instinct is to go through these episodes chronologically. But that doesn't always make a lot of sense when you're talking about three episodes of the same show, because if you're talking about something that happens in the first episode, but you already know that an ep you know, second or third episode has something else that provides context for that, you know, you don't know that when you're doing one at a time, like we do with the main Walking Dead show. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I don't know if that's always the best way to do this, but... I don't know how any other way to do it. So with that in mind, we're going to start oh. with the beacon. <laughs> these, uh, yeah, these, I was wondering about that because usually we try and uh, just go by plot line, right? But uh, these are so stacked on top of each other that uh, you can't talk about one plot line without talking about another plot line that, uh, you know, ties into it. So we kind of have to go in chronological order. It's kind of funny. Like they, these are sort of stacked on top of each other, but at the same time, these episodes deal with... Uh, primarily three different uh, yeah. groups or pairs of characters, really, that we're sort of getting an update on little individual groups of, of where characters are and what has happened to them since the nukes have gone off. They do intertwine for sure, yeah. um, but, but not as much as you might think. We're not jumping back and forth between what's going on with Strand here and what's going on with Morgan over there. We kind of stick to those groups as we go through this we do but you can't understand like there are major developments in the third episode that require knowledge of the first episode and pro and require knowledge of the second episode and same with the second episode you you need to have watched the ones beforehand yeah so it's not just a matter it's not there aren't easter eggs or geez that would have been nice to have known it's uh you know you really can't air these out of order unlike fucking Fox and Firefly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you, which they shouldn't have anyway, but these ones played out of order would be extremely confusing and spoilery a little bit. It would have uh, been. So yeah. luckily yeah. they didn't play out of order and luckily uh, iTunes didn't fuck them up on me and uh, we're all accurate and in order. Good. Good to know. Good to know. So let's start with the beacon. That is season seven, episode one. And this one starts off with a new character named Will, who is seems like he's just kind of trying to survive in the midst of this nuclear zombie apocalypse, right? And yeah. I liked how we got the first, I don't know if it was 10 or 15 minutes of really just Will, pretty much dialogue free, going about his day and losing hope and regaining it and sleeping in a van and sitting around a fire and things like that. It was just sort of a peek into his life post nuclear Holocaust. Yeah. And the desperation and desolation of the <laughs> whole thing. It's, you know, he's looking for food and he finds some irradiated cans and he can't eat that. And he sees a fucking dead animal. I'm not sure what the animal was. Was it a, a mole or 
who knows? I don't know. Some kind of weird animal. And, you know, he, the, the first look on his face was, I'm not fucking eating that. And then he goes on and goes about his business and then he comes back to grab it so he can cook it. Yeah. But then he starts crying. So he's a very sad individual at that point. He's given up. He's basically, uh, you know, I fucked his shit. I'm getting out. Yeah. But, but I think all that worked pretty well for me, to be honest, considering we don't know who this guy is. You know, we don't really know why we're seeing this guy we've never seen before. He's just there. He's trying to survive. Like you said, he doesn't want to eat the, the uh, irradiated animal, but eventually he has no choice, you know, and so he's cooking it up. And I thought it was all done really well. And I thought it all looked kind of cool too. You know, I, I don't really know what post nuclear explosion is going to look like. And I also have no idea how long it's been since the, the nukes went off that we're watching will here. Uh, but I did think the kind of yellowy, hazy, foggy, dusty, whatever it was, aesthetic to it all was, was kind of cool. Yeah, so in, you know, if we can jump around a little bit, in uh, Cindy Hawkins, uh, when they were uh, taking the numbers, another one off the board is what they were saying. Right. Uh, uh, every day they were marking up how many days they've gone by, and they were at 69 days. So yeah. I don't know how that factors into uh, the beacon because, they, you know, there could be a time dilation or a different you know, different time scales there. Yeah. But, uh, I would guess around three months. So about four that. months. Sure. Okay. Well, I, maybe, but there wasn't really, at least not at this point, no indication. And, and you're right in the third episode, uh, we know they're keeping track of the days and it's been 69 or 70 days. Um, and again, things tie in a little bit at the end of that episode, but it's not clear to me really where uh, for all we know like the end of that episode could have come before um or after <laughs> it could have come i don't know could have come way after this stuff with will for all we know right like it's hard it to could. tell yeah well yeah and i mean uh not a lot has happened uh well okay so if we're talking about time scale here uh, in each episode it seems like there's a uh, uh strand I don't know what your the order of the, the notes you have, but uh, Strand's uh, tower that he's set up has a lot of people and seems to have taken uh, a long time jump yeah. for that particular community. Yet for, in Cindy Hawkins, they're marking off the days and it's only been 69 days. It's hard for me to have those both in the same time scale or in the same time place uh, because it's just there's so much happening in the tower and not much happening underground and it's been 69 days but then again it's really hard to tell time underground i don't know if they have watches or clocks or mm -hmm. what they're doing why when they're saying good night but they've done studies where people have been put underground with absolutely no contact with any human being or any way of indicating what the time was to see how long they could survive and what would happen to them and first of all it's messed up because anybody's spending a long, a lot of time by themselves. If your brain doesn't get regular stimulus, it starts making it up. It's uh -huh. like, fuck you. I'm doing this anyway. And it starts making up things and they hear things and they have conversations and you go a little bit crazy. Yeah. But invariably the people that they put on here kind of shifted to a 26 or 25 or 26 hour schedule, uh, where they would regularly go into a routine 
of 26 hours or 25 hours, which is messed up. Yeah, because, it's close to our day, but not quite the same. Yeah, which only has one possible conclusion. As a human species, we're not from this planet. <laughs> we came here on a giant space arc. Of course. Uh, you know, 100,000 years ago, and now we're here and everything's fine and we're kind of adjusting. But just in general, we're not from here. That's the only way I can explain it. Obviously, the only possible explanation is we're not from Earth. Which is why on the weekends you get so messed up, because you're, if your body's natural rhythm is 25 hours, you know, by the time Monday rolls around and you've stopped caring about the clock so much from a week to week on the weekday basis, uh, by the time Monday rolls around, your body's two hours behind. Jeez. You're like, oh, I don't want to get up. You know, trying to get back into that rhythm after a weekend is a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. And that kind of explains that feeling. Just we're on the wrong planet. Fair. I don't know which planet we're from, but probably not this one. Not this one. Yeah, fair enough. Well, you mentioned Strand. And even though we're introduced to Will in this episode for, you know, a good chunk of the beginning, this episode is really about introducing us to Strand and what he's got going on. So if you remember at the end of season six, he ended up in that apartment building with that other dude who was there. Turns out that guy's name is Howard. And Strand had this epiphany, like he's survived the nuclear explosion. He's found this place that for whatever reason is he thinks is going to be safe. And he has gone ahead and created a community here. Yep. And so we learn a fair bit about that community in this episode. He's calling it the tower. Howard is still there. Uh, Howard appears to be his like right-hand man, his number two. His wing nut. His wing nut. <laughs> but, and, and like we see shots of people doing yoga and like kind of being very comfortable and living a reasonably normal life. And they seem to have lots of supplies and there are more people around than you would think. And all I could think the whole time was like, this seems a little unlikely. Where did all these people come from, first of all? And how are they getting by so easily, so well? I don't know. It, it, it feels like this kind of setup would take months or years to come to after what they've just been through. Yet here we are, and it might be as little as 69 days, right? Yeah. And they had spaghetti. And yeah, cherry tomatoes in it. It looked delicious. Yeah, it looked delightful. So uh, Will hit his head after he was so despondent about uh, having to cook that uh, whatever beast he was cooking. Uh, but he, he ran away and whacked his head. And again, anytime somebody hits their head on TV, uh, I now know what it's like to really, really fall down and whack your head. Yeah. And uh, he went out like a light, right? So uh, he whacking your head on an object. He whacked it on a, a stump. But whacking your head on an object is not an instant off button for the human race, like getting hit with a shovel mm -hmm. or getting bumped on the head. Uh, it hurts and it's really unfortunate, but it's not an off button right. for humans. You're not instantly so, unconscious usually. Yeah. But then again, this universe is different. Uh -huh. So they have soft heads, Yeah, uh, which means uh, apparently it doesn't mean that they can bounce like you would think because we've seen nerve heads. Uh, but, uh, apparently uh, getting hit in the head in this universe is an off button. Oh, for sure. Yeah, when he falls down. He falls down, goes unconscious, and then they take him here, right, to the tower? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I just, I was, I'm, I'm just having a hard time believing that Strand would be able to set all this up 
unless it's been two years since the the nukes, yeah. right? But it I don't think it has. I don't think the show is has been very clear about it, but I definitely don't think they're implying it's been that long. Um so I think it's kind of interesting, but pretty unlikely. I agree that uh, the so that timeline, like I said, with uh, you know the the time scale set in Cindy Hawkins, uh, I have a hard time believing that this was set up within that time scale. And also, my opinion: if you find a nice place to hold up, and it seems like a great place, and you can see a nuke go off, you're too close to that nuke. You should get the hell out of there. It doesn't matter. Uh, if you feel safe or not, you're too close. You're too close. If you can see it, you're probably yeah. too close. Yeah. If you if you're anywhere near the horizon of where that thing goes off, you're too fucking close. You should move. Well, they don't. But here's the thing: Howard mentions at one point in this episode that weather patterns took the fallout away from them. So, again, I don't really know how much the wind and weather can can affect the. Uh, you know, the area of a nuclear fallout. But if you believe what the show is selling, then apparently the wind maybe blew it the other way. They got lucky where they were and it's not nearly as bad as it could have been there. So for some reason, they're able to to stay there because of that. Do you think they learned that on CNN? How did they know about weather patterns? I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just their their explanation for it. They're like, we could see it over there. But we're not fried. We're not dead here. So it must have blown the other way. Yeah. It's, you know, it's windy. It's still windy. Oh my goodness. It's still windy. These must be weather patterns. Right. Like what do they have? The weather network? How do you know? You don't know. Yeah. It's just windy one day. That's true. In, in, was it in this episode? It might've been in this one where they also mentioned that uh, when it rains, that draws the, uh, Dust. Dust it's, out it's of the, the air. dust. Yeah, it, it was it was this episode. It was Will later on when they were going out uh looking for whatever strand wanted to look for. We mm-hmm. find out that's uh what's her eyebrows. Uh but it starts to rain and they're like, We have to get the hell out of here, and that's when they go back to his van underneath that bridge. Yes, okay. Right. Because uh the idea is it's the dust that's gonna get you, right? It's all that irradiated dust that's blowing around. The rain will knock it down or bring it down on top of you. Breathing it in will fuck up your lungs. That's why you need to, uh, you know, not breathe it. And the idea of being indoors, even though you open the door and then you close the door, you can't just take your mask off. You have to wait for all the dust to settle and you probably should wipe your goddamn clothes off. Yeah. Like they did when they went to the tower and he was scrubbed. Mm-hmm. That's the right thing to do. You know, be clean after you get out of uh, the dusty, irradiated zone and get all that dust off. It's still not great. No. But it's better than living in a van. I feel like the rain would help that, though, not make it worse. Like, you know, when they're... when they're In the long run, but you're going to get all the dust that's uh, in a column of air above you for 5,000 oh. feet all on top of you okay. instead of just what's around you at the time. For sure. I was going to say, like, when they remove asbestos or something from a house, they use water to keep the dust from puffing into the air, right? But I guess yeah. it's different. It's great if you're not in the rain. Because it brings it all out of the sky. Long term, it's probably a good thing because it washes it all into the ground and gets all, you know, gets into the, you know, the water system and spreads it around a little bit. (laughs) But at least Uh, it's not piling up on your head. (laughs) Right. But if you're in the rain, then basically what's happening is that uh, you're getting irradiated rain on you. Okay. That does sound bad. All right. Well, there you go. So 
in any case, weather seemed to be the reason that they could create this community and live safely in this place. But Strand says a few times throughout this episode that he has everything he needs right here. So he's feeling really comfortable. He seems to have things under control. He's the leader of this place. He's really playing it up a lot. Uh, it reminded me of Ezekiel being the, the king, right, of uh, his community, kind of playing that role. I know Strand is already sort of like this, so he's playing less of a role, but it reminded me of that. A guy who has just put on this persona that he thinks people want to see or hear or experience, and it's working for him. But on the other yeah, hand, and he's Strand, wearing a he's also wearing a 1930s, uh, you know, army hat. Yeah, and uh, a sword. Well, it's right? like, like a vintage sword. It's yeah, like theater, theater, theater for him. Yeah, like why would you wear that hat? That's a dumb hat. <laughs> that's a that's a uh, you know a military formal kind of thing. Uh, don't wear that hat. That's why he does it though, because he he's like I'm putting on this character, and this character wears this hat, so I have no other option but to wear it. But it, it's a it's a dumb hat to wear, and it's disrespectful. I'm not saying the hat is dumb because, uh, but it's a dumb hat for him to wear sure. and it's disrespectful to the era of military that wore that as a part of a dress uniform. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, you know, it's like when I was in the, this was the nineties, which was uh, in where I grew up, which is basically the eighties everywhere else. Uh, but people would wear uh, German world war two German army jackets. Okay. And it just infuriated. There were no military insignia or anything like that, but the style was, you know, World War II military German, uh, you know, tunics. And it just, it pissed me off to no end. It's just like, you, don't you have any fucking idea what you're doing? You're doing a bad thing, you dumb asshole. But <laughs> uh, it just, it was a feeling I had and was sure. not nothing I could articulate to the dumb asshole. It's just, uh, it, it's just a dumb thing to do. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Well, it's, it's a dumb hat. And a dumb thing to do, but Strand is playing this character, which it's it's different from Ezekiel as the king, I think, because Strand is already more this guy in actual fact than than Ezekiel was. But the idea of it kind of reminded me of that. Yeah. If you're gonna put on a dumb hat, wear a beret. And I and I say that with all love because when I was actually in the military, part of the uniform was wearing a beret. <laughs> with, <laughs> with all due respect to anyone who wears a beret. If you're going to wear a stupid hat, that's the one to choose. <laughs> and I'm way into dumb hats. Sure. Like, I have always been a hat guy. I love wearing hats. And I've worn some dumb hats uh, on purpose. Yeah. Out in public. Oh. Where people said, nice hat, asshole. I've witnessed that, yeah, with you. <laughs> yeah. They were nice. It was a nice cowboy hat, though, right? Oh, you had a nice cowboy hat. It's just... Yeah, I mean, wearing that around with, you know, cut off jean shorts and rollerblades, a little different. No, that, that, I never wore that. That was too heavy to wear, for, uh, to wear that. <laughs> I had a straw cowboy hat for wearing, and oh. I didn't wear cut off jean shorts. That's just what Dave would say when I went rollerblading. I would wear shorts and a shirt and my, uh, my cowboy hat, my uh, straw cowboy hat, and I would put on my headphones and I would rollerblade all over the place. Uh, not cut off jean shorts. I've never worn cut off jean shorts. Can I just pretend that, that you did? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. You I know, think it was funnier. <laughs> put it in your mind's eye. You know, let's, uh, let's keep it going. All right. That's well, all Dave. That's all Dave. All Dave. All Dave all the time. 
Listen, one more thing. I think because Strand says so often that he has everything he needs right here, I feel like that's foreshadowing to him losing it all. You know? Well, it's also uh, denial, right? I have everything I need. I'm perfectly happy. When in fact, that's utterly not true. I, I guess you're right. It probably isn't true. But even if he believes it, I just feel like the show mentioning it like that. Oh, they're just setting us up for Strand losing it all. And I'm going to make a prediction right now. I think Strand dies this season. I think. Really? Yeah, I think we've probably. I mean, we don't even know if there will be a season eight. It has not officially been renewed yet. I don't believe. But I just feel like Strand has been around a long time. He's. Uh, I consider him one of the original characters on this show. And like, who's the other one? It's Alicia. It's Alicia, yeah. Right? I think Strand, especially if he's setting up to be kind of the villain this season, I think he's going down. He's the villain. He threw a guy out. He threw Will off the top of the tower. Yeah, he kills Will at the end, which actually bummed me out a little bit. I liked Will and I wanted him to see him stick around. But nope. I wrote in my notes, Strand didn't do anything overtly uh, evil. And then he threw him off the tower and I had to erase that. Okay. Well, there you go. So Strand is definitely the antagonist for season seven, or at least for now. But I think Strand dies this season. He, he, he has too much. He's flaunting it. He's going to lose all that. And he ultimately is going to lose his life, I think, too. Or Morgan. They could uh, kill off Morgan. They could, but I just don't think they're going to. They're going to drag Morgan out to the bitter end. And I don't no know, way. maybe season Lenny seven James is, is getting bored. I bet maybe season seven is the bitter end. I don't know, but you could also be right about that. Lenny James, you know, I mean, in a way I'm surprised he hasn't asked to leave the show already, you know, not because it's yeah. bad, but because he's been around for a long time, but it's also a little bit bad. So there's a lot of factors. <laughs> and he's the most established actor, uh, in my opinion, in the whole walking dead universe. Uh, I've seen him in many things before the, he joined The Walking Dead, and I saw uh, Andrew Lincoln in one thing before he joined The Walking Dead. Fair enough. I saw Norman Reedus in one thing before he joined The Walking Dead. Okay, fair. He was the most established actor before he joined the show, but I think now many of now. the actors that have moved on from the show are m more household names than... Uh, Lenny James, like especially Denai Guerrera. Yeah, Denai Guerrera and Steven Yeun uh, yes. absolutely are doing wonderful things. Yes. Uh, but, you know, Lenny James is a an established character actor and has been for a long time. That's true. He, there's no shortage of work for him. He could quit this show and go do, uh, you know, be the principal on seven other shows that would all jump at the chance to have Lenny James on their on their show. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree with that. And in in a way, you're right. I'm surprised he he hasn't really sort of gone for that yet, right? And what's he doing hanging around here on Fear the Walking Dead all these years? Yeah, and this is not even his first uh, apocalypse show that he was on. He was on Jericho. That's right. Which was uh, a you know a nuclear explosion which uh, went off. So uh, he you know this is old hat for him. Absolutely. Okay, well, I have a call here from James in Brighton, UK, that I want to play before we move on. Hi, Chris. Hi, Jason. Just wanted to leave you some feedback for... Well, I've seen the first two episodes now of Fear the Walking Dead. Episode one, I really, really enjoyed it. I know it was a bit ludicrous, but I think with the whole Strand thing, I wouldn't say it was believable, but 
it kind of made sense in terms of his character. Uh, you know, it was a reach, but you could see how they got there. And yeah, I, obviously he's the best actor for it because he's always had a very theatrical edge to the way he is as a character. And I like the um, attention to detail, like the way he was dressed and that sword he had. It was all, it was a bit like they were trying to go for a kind of an Ichabod Crane kind of vibe. So yeah, I really enjoyed that. But I don't understand how he just walked into some guy's skyscraper and then took it over. Hasn't the guy got a problem with that? But anyway, so yeah, I enjoyed that episode. And also with the Strand thing being evil, the way he killed that guy at the end, I thought that was quite good. Because although it was senseless and, you know, they just did it to make a point, it was quite shocking and I enjoyed that. It's like... Not only was it senseless, but he enjoyed the senselessness, senselessness of it. Sorry. All right. Thanks, James. Uh, he had he went on to talk about World Beyond a little bit there, but I figured I'd save that. So uh, I, I like I mean, that's kind of what I was saying before. It's like, you know, I feel like Strand and, um, you know, it's just sort of within his character to almost turn into this over the top kind of whack job and crazy leader guy. It is, and that's uh, one of the things I wanted to talk, to say about the entire three episodes and this season in, in general from what I've seen so far is, you know, if they set it up, even the poster on friggin' iTunes is, uh, you know, Coleman DeBingo and Lenny James screaming at each other. It's yep. like, obviously, they're at, they're at uh, loggerheads. And I really like that. Like, we have a bad guy that is our hero from previous episodes. Or previous seasons, right? Mm -hmm. So we, and this is what I wanted from Maggie all along, was that one of our established characters becomes the bad guy. Right. And then we have one of our established characters, ultimately, you know, super good guy. And we have them butting heads and they hate each other. Yep. And they just want to kill each other. It's fucking fantastic. And I've wanted this all along basically my entire life. And now they've slotted it into this season of this, uh, this show. I enjoyed these three episodes. More than I enjoyed World Beyond, and a little bit more than I enjoyed the big show in the last few episodes, and I did enjoy those. Uh, there are aspects of these, and we'll get to them, that I really disliked, okay. like super disliked. But overall, this the way they've structured the overall story uh, for this season uh, is uh, it's like they reached into my brain and went, uh, you know, what would Jason like? And they pulled it out and threw it at the TV, and it stuck. Well, that's good. I mean, I was going to get into towards the end kind of what we thought of, of this. And I have to admit, I liked this first episode, too. There was I think there was a lot going on here that um, was a little different from fear. You know, James in his call used the word ludicrous. And I think that really applies 100 percent. It's pretty ludicrous. Yeah. But the, how fast uh a strand can set up a community is kind of silly and where he sets up the community yeah. is kind of silly. Yeah, but. absolutely. Like there is a high level of ludicrous in this episode and in a way in all three that we've seen so far. But if you can, if you can just sort of let that wash over you and you accept the ludicrous, then there's other stuff going on here that I think works reasonably well. And, uh, it's not, it's it's nowhere near as bad as fear was a couple of years ago and i think this is actually an improvement over most of what we saw in season six and i thought a lot of that was okay so yeah it's it's funny um 
here's another, here's an email from Jennifer in Minneapolis. And she says, I really enjoyed seeing new character Will's survival trials in the first episode, and then positively loved seeing Victor Strand in the role in which he belongs, collecting the finer things in life, living high on the hog, being a leader and letting only the right people into his community. But then this bullshit happened where he goes looking for Alicia. What the fuck? Why? I'm so tired of this show trying to sell her as this fantastical person that everybody wants a piece of. She hasn't been the slightest bit interesting since season three. So that transitions us into what else we find out about Strand and what he's trying to do and his mission to find, or what seems like at the beginning, his mission to find Alicia Although I'm not even sure I understand what his motivations are quite there yet and why he's doing it. And even if he really wants to find her. Well, that's the thing I didn't like about this episode right. is that there's like, okay, we've established the characters. Here's the thing. And then, oh no, it's the opposite of that thing. Oh no, it's the opposite of that thing. Yeah. Oh my God, it's the opposite of that thing. It's like, what the, f you're flipping things too much here. Uh, why are they doing this? Yeah, I started thinking, oh my God, they've turned Alicia into the MacGuffin of this this episode and maybe this whole season. Like, we don't know when she's going to, to make an appearance because she hasn't shown up in the first three episodes. But she played a big part in this one because it turns out that Will was in that bunker with her. Something happened, which we don't really know, and the bunker has been evacuated, deserted, and he was cast out. So he's kind of looking for her as well. And was he cast out or did he go looking for Strand uh, on Alicia's orders? Yeah, that's true. We don't really know that because it's revealed that he knew who Strand was as soon as they ran into each other, even though he didn't uh, make that known at first. Right? And he had the locket, right? Yeah. And that was, that was the secret to get Strand on board. That was the lure to get him uh, out. So that was the, uh, that's the opposite versus opposite versus opposite. So whose motivations, what here he was cast out. No, he wasn't cast out. He's on a mission right. to get strand out. But how did he, he, you know, he was about to die. So his mission to look for strand, uh, he decided to execute that by living in a van down by the river <laughs> and not doing much and waiting for strand to find him more like down under the overpass, but yeah, down under the overpass, which didn't make any sense. Cause there was a, there was uh, shadows of people on the wall, which you know, we know from nuclear explosion that uh, uh, that if you're near the flashpoint, uh, then you know you're completely vaporized, and all that's left of you is a shadow on a wall because that's the part of the wall that didn't get you know completely sanitized by yep. the blast. Yeah, horrible. Uh, so, but how does that happen on an underpass? Well, I don't know, but you're right. It doesn't seem like it would be as likely. <laughs> So they put that imagery in because they wanted to put that imagery in because it was a nuclear explosion. Fine. Uh, dramatic imagery. Doesn't make any sense where it was. Mm -hmm. But that's neither here nor there, really. It's a nitpick. All right. So um, Will's relationship to Alicia and the bunker and what he's really doing. When So Strand and him go back to the bunker, right? He Will takes Strand there to show yeah. him that there's nobody left. And they find the note that says Padre on it. That's all it says. But remind me, Jason, did, was the note addressed to Will? Like the paper was folded. Did it say Will on the outside and then you open it and it says Padre? No clue. Okay. I'm not sure if it was. I have a feeling it might have been. But in that case, that makes me think that Alicia left that note for him so that, as a clue, so that he could find her later. Now this may all be... <laughs> 
Sorry, it was addressed to him. I just went to the tape. The outside of the envelope or outside of the folded pieces of paper said Will. Okay, so does that indicate, uh, does that give us any clues as to whether he was cast out or he was sent on a mission? Because if she's leaving that for him, she's expecting him to come back, right? So therefore, it feels more like a mission. Yeah, he's absolutely on a mission okay. because we've established that he loves her. Yeah, that's right? true too. And that's one of the reasons why Strand threw him off the off the thing is because uh, he wanted to hurt them. I'm not sure exactly why, but it's because uh, he knew that Alicia loved him. So they were in love. They met. He knows, Strand knows that. Uh, Will is absolutely on a mission. She gave him the locket to because uh, she knew that it had significance to Strand. Mm-hmm. And so this was the lure to get him, get Strand to come back or come out of hiding or what have you. So Strand realizes that at the end, that Alicia's trying to bring him out of hiding or discover where he is or whatever. And that's what leads him to kill Will by throwing him off the roof. And ultimately he comes, Strand comes to the decision that he wants to keep Alicia away because he thinks if she's looking for me, that's going to be trouble. Yes. Okay. Uh, He wants to keep, so he... He, this is the second flip. So uh, he wanted to find Alicia, but he didn't want to find Alicia. He wants to keep Alicia away. So he kills Will so that she will hate him for this mm-hmm. because he knows they're in love. I don't know how Alicia's going to find out that Will got thrown over and uh, killed uh, and has become a zombie. Half his face is stoved in, so uh, he's not exactly recognizable at a distance. No. Uh, so... You know, the best thing to do would be to first put on a backpack uh, and in that backpack put a huge sign that says Will and then kill him so that he's walking around with this big sign that says Will on it (laughs) so that uh, he's easily identifiable in a crowd of zombies. Right. But one of the lines I believe uh, Strand actually says out loud after Will goes off the roof is Alicia won't have anything to do with me after this. Right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's actively trying to stay isolated, trying to keep her away. He doesn't want to have anything to do with her at this point. So, okay. So that's uh, very interesting. I feel like this episode, we, we got a lot about Strand, but still there's many, many questions. What's he yep. doing and where is he getting all these people and supplies from? I mean, they're growing some stuff on the roof there. He had fresh strawberries. Good for him. Um, and... And yeah, I, I was kind of into it and I was, I enjoyed watching Coleman Domingo play this character, this kind of new version of Strand. Yeah. And I, I really think that this is, uh, this is right up Strand's alley. Like this is totally like, it makes sense for Strand. Yeah. Right. We've, we've had this, uh, same character, uh, a hundred times on the, on the walking dead, in the walking dead universe, uh, the governor, uh, Negan, uh, even uh, to a point, uh, what's your name from Star Trek from uh, Terminus? Uh, it's the, you know, I'm just trying to get my community to survive and I will do what it takes to do that. So we've had this character a bunch of times, but we didn't have this character from one of the original characters of the show mm-hmm. turn into this. Right. So uh, they made it interesting. We used nice. to uh, we used to remember speculate or uh, kind of hope that that um, uh, oh my god Madison would come back as a villain like if she was going to show up on the show again after yeah. being quote unquote dead she'd come back as a villain 
I don't think that's going to happen. I'm pretty confident, but it seems like they were listening and they're like, okay, well, let's do it with Strand instead because he never died. You know, it works. It works for me. Yeah. All right. Well, before we move on to six hours, the only other note I had about this was uh, why a lighthouse? And, you know, why go to Will's lighthouse? (laughs) I mean, I know they needed this giant beacon, right? Because they take the light from the lighthouse and pull it back to Strand's tower and put it on the roof as a giant beacon. Uh, I guess that's the reason for the lighthouse. But I was also sort of like, is it actually near the coast? I don't see any water, but then you can't see 10 feet in front of you in this nuclear Oh, yeah. Who knows what's going on with the... Well, I guess they have to be near the water because it's a goddamn submarine, right? So, okay, well, yeah. Uh, you know, that's the only thing I can think of uh, is that it's near the submarine. But I have some logistical questions around the lighthouse. So they somehow took apart the top of a lighthouse and carted it God knows how long, how far, mm-hmm. and put it on top of another building? That's what uh, they did, and they, they dragged did they it from— they have cranes? Like, what kind of facilities, there? what kind of equipment did they use to— uh, you know, transport and then rebuild this thing. Listen, I saw if, a welder. They were welding something at some point, but that's not really a, you know, a truck or a crane to transport anything. The, the CN tower in downtown Toronto is a very tall, skinny tower that, uh, many tourists go up all the time. If you've seen the skyline of Toronto, you know what the CN tower looks like. And if guys can carry like grand pianos up the stairs of that thing, just human beings for fun doing that, I think a group of people could carry a light from a lighthouse up the stairs in Strand's Tower. Along with its turning mechanism and all well, the equipment that goes along with it. You know that's what? A, I don't know. Ludicrous. Put, put, put the ludicrous aside and Strand has enough people and someone with some lighthouse expertise and he can rebuild a lighthouse on the top of his own building. All right, tell me more about this crazy bastard. Did one person carry a grand piano up, or are you talking about they took apart a grand piano, a bunch of people carried it up the stairs, and then reassembled it? No, 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 they don't reassemble things like that. Like, people have done, uh, if you read the history of the CN Tower, people have done stair challenges to that thing, like moving refrigerators up the stairs, up all 29,000 floors, or 29,000, not floors, steps, or whatever it is. I yeah, don't know. Jenny's done the climb. I I've have not too. done the climb. You have, yeah. I have done the climb. It was one of the worst things I've ever done in my life, and it's a lot of fucking stairs going up. I but- lived on the 25th floor of an apartment building during a blackout one time, and I had to climb the goddamn, st- or maybe just the elevator was out, and I had to climb the stairs, and then after that, it's just like, you want to do the CN Tower climb? I'm like, fuck yourself. I'm not doing that. That's crazy. Uh, there they were, have elevators. I'm not, why yeah. would I climb the stairs? I did the CN Tower climb, you know, for one of those charity type things, raise money, climb the CN Tower, yada, yada. Was, oh, I gave Jenny money for it. I'm like, yeah, here, take my money. I'll pay I'm not you to climbing do it. the stairs. <laughs> I'm not freaking collecting money. Here, take it. Go. Yeah. Have fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was awful. I didn't, I mean, there were a lot of reasons I thought it was awful, not just going up the stairs, but it's a different story. But the point is, if there are people, there have been people that have hauled refrigerators up there just to set a world record, you know, moved, moved a refrigerator up record number of, of flights of stairs kind of deal. So anyways, if they can do that, though, I can believe that a group of people could move a light from a lighthouse down the lighthouse, attach it to some zombies. Did you see them doing that? The zombies were muling that thing uh yeah to the tower and then and then back up the stairs at the tower oh yeah you you know zombies for labor is a genius idea there you go like why would you have them not why wouldn't you have them carry stuff right 
Yeah. It's, just, it's free labor. They're just going to walk and follow you anyway so they can drag a, a sled behind them with whatever you want. Yeah, that's a slippery slope, right? Where you say that, you know, they're not really people. It's free labor. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, but they're they're zombies. It's a fictional, they're not even alive. So it's fine. One thing about the zombies in the light, though, is that, uh, you know, when we first saw the light shining, uh, there was a zombie walking away from the light. And then he saw the light and he turned around and started walking towards the light. I call bullshit on that. If uh, you have a giant light and it's illuminating something, wouldn't you walk towards what was being illuminated if you didn't really understand the concept of physics? Uh, I don't know. But, I mean, this is just another thing that now a zombie's attracted to. We've got smell. We've got sound. We've got visual contact with, with prey. And but now he we have immediately a light. turned around. This, I'm yeah. thinking, like, what happens when the sun rises? It's just like, oh, I'm going to start following the sun or the moon. It's almost not a moth. <laughs> or just go, go towards the light kind of thing. It's uh, right. it's a zombie. There's a bright light. I can just see better now. Great. Yeah. I I, I, just, I call bullshit on the zombie turning around immediately, knowing exactly what that was and that he should walk towards that light. Having a zombie facing that way and seeing the light, yes, absolutely, it's going to gather a whole bunch of zombies around. It's just that one zombie immediately turning around I call bullshit on. Yeah, fair enough. I hear you. All right. Well, shall we move on to episode two? It's called Six Hours. Yep. So this one has very little to do with Strand, but this focuses on Morgan and Grace, who have been living with baby Mo in I think it focuses on Mo with uh, Morgan and Grace as uh, side characters. There was a lot of crying in this. I had a hard time with this episode. So there is a lot of baby crying. And my thought on that is I am sure in reality... It would be like that. A bit. Absolutely. Uh, you know, baby's hungry. Uh, baby's uncomfortable. You don't have all the supplies you need. It's the freaking zombie apocalypse. But man, did I get tired of hearing a baby cry uh, f- while watching this episode. And I feel kind of bad saying that because it's a baby and babies cry. But well, geez. that's the problem is that, uh, you know, being human beings and you and I being parents, uh, hearing a baby cry has an instinctual need to make the baby stop crying and not make the baby, but help the baby be to get whatever it needs in order to stop crying. Uh And so when you hear incessant, incessant crying on the television that does not stop, it's hard. It's hard. to. I wasn't that I was annoyed. I wasn't like, uh, you know, going, you know, I need to feed the baby. I need to feed the baby. Oh my God, I got to change the baby. What if there's a pin sticking in the baby? Which doesn't really happen anymore because they don't really have diapers that use pins anymore. Well, I mean, but they do, but... Not me. Know, no, I didn't use those either. <laughs> That's just crazy. Right. It's like it's like taking a knife and handing it to a fucking toddler. Right. Like, Here you go. Here's a knife. Here's a, here's a steak knife. You know, have fun. Nope. Bad <laughs> no, idea. Nine, nine, nine. Uh, so... Baby crying was hard. I admit I had to skip ahead a couple of times. Just like when uh, Grace was trying to comfort the baby while Morgan was out of the submarine and mm-hmm. she started uh, playing music. Uh, I, I couldn't deal with it. I'm like, okay, this is, I need to gloss over this part. I, 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 have, I really dislike the baby crying in this whole fucking episode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 you get less of it as the episode goes on. Um, they, they, they front load the episode with crying for sure, but it, it permeates throughout. And like I said, I didn't enjoy that part of it, 
but I felt bad feeling that way. Um, but I still actually thought, like the first episode, there was some pretty good stuff in here, and I didn't mind there this was. one either. First, though, uh, Trish in Boston wrote in, and she said, Oh my God, I have never turned off an episode of The Walking Dead or Fear the Walking Dead. Six hours uh, I couldn't deal with. The crying baby just felt wrong. I get what they are going for, but between the baby, the dead, the dusty skies, and the poor animals having to breathe it all in, I think I'll need therapy. I'm going to turn on some more reruns of Happier Times. Give me Starter Zombies, Sunshine, and Spy Enid instead. There you go. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So uh, No, the real for realism, it all works. Right. But you have to... It's hard to do. I'm thinking of... Uh, uh, everybody loves Raymond and I never watched that show. Uh, but you know, Raymond and his wife, they had kids. They had kids that were very young. Any two parents that have kids that young, their entire lives are about those kids. Right. Yeah. And Raymond, whatever his name is, his real name is Ray Romano. That's it. Ray Romano, uh, when creating that show, didn't want to make the whole show about the kids. So the kids fucking disappeared. Yes, they had kids, and in real life, the, the whole their whole lives would be about those kids, but this show wasn't. Right. So they had to dial it back just for the sake of the show. This Fear of the Walking Dead episode was about the baby and about the baby being upset. I understand that. Establish that. Dial it back. Yeah, for sure. The thing, the thing I was thinking, though, is something you said to me one time about how Dogs can be actors, but babies cannot be actors. Babies can't, they don't have the mental capacity to act. And if a baby's crying on screen, it's because that baby is genuinely crying. <laughs> and they've done something to upset the baby. Yes and no. And I never, I never really thought of it like that before you pointed that out at some point in the past on the podcast. And so that's all I could think about here. And It's uh, my wife's thing. It's my wife's thing. It's like, okay, if a baby's crying, they made that baby cry. And that's not good. Right. But in this case, the baby was crying when she was crawling at the end of the episode. Mm. And the baby was not crying. Like you could see the face of the baby and that sure. baby was not upset at that point. Sure. Yet there was, there was still a little bit of crying. So what I think they did for this was here is a tape recorder. Go home, record this baby crying when it cries. We'll splice it all together because we didn't see a lot of, uh, what was the baby's name? Mo. Yep. We didn't see a lot of Mo crying. We saw, we heard a lot of Mo crying. Yeah. And yeah. So I don't think that the entire thing, uh, and the, I, and I was going to bring this up, but, uh, bef but you did first, which is fantastic because my wife has a big problem with this. Uh, and, and therefore I have a problem with it because it makes perfect sense. But I think in this case, they didn't make the baby cry for five or six days. I think they recorded some crying, maybe a couple of hours of crying, which is not hard to do if you hand somebody a tape recorder or say, record your baby crying on your phone, send it in. Yeah, I'm sure there's all kinds of, uh, you know, baby crying stock audio out there they can just use. They don't yeah. even need to record the actual baby crying. But yes, I get your point. So I don't think that this was as bad as it could have been. Uh, but there was a fuck ton of crying in this yes. episode and it was hard to take. It was hard to take. But anyways, if we can push through that, 
what I, I mean, the first thing I want to mention is that they're in this sub and they're running out of food. And the reason the baby's crying is because he's hungry. Um, but, uh, so Morgan builds this like Mad Max car and he wants to get in it and flee the sub to not only find food, but also get to safety. And he says, um, that they, they can, <laughs> the air inside the car is going to be safe. Uh, unlike the air outside, which just makes no sense to me, but whatever. I mean, well, fine. it's that letting that dust settle, right? You get in the car, you wait for the dust to settle. It's the same thing as living in a van. Yeah, right. It's right. not great, but it's not the worst thing. As long as you don't roll down the windows, uh, you know, it's better than not than rolling down the windows. Sure, fair enough. Okay, so they do that and they take off and they have six hours. It's called six hours because that's like kind of how long they can be out there exposed before it or partially exposed before it starts uh irradiating them and killing them it's six hours at a time yeah right because they you know they each went out for a six hour period but how long there's a, of a rest between is i'm not sure uh but i don't think it's six hours total if it's six hours total they'd be dead a long time right ago. yeah it's six hours at a time but that's the idea they're gonna drive for six hours and he thinks they can get somewhere safer in that amount of time so they take off and they end up in this deserted town because the car is broken down or needs a wheel replaced and they encounter this couple who have clearly gone through some serious shit themselves uh and they think that baby mo is their baby and they want to keep her so baby yeah. uh baby mo's a, a, a girl right i think so yes uh they want to keep her and the bulk of this episode kind of takes place in this town and them trying to sort of deal with this situation. And all of that's fine and good. I, I enjoyed most of it. Uh, it was okay. But what I think a huge, huge part of this episode was all about was Grace and her emotional state and how she was dealing with the nuclear zombie apocalypse, the baby that won't stop crying, the fact that she... Um, had her own baby that was stillborn last season uh, and how all of that is just piling up in her brain and affecting her emotional state. Um, and, you know, she's, she's struggling to, to deal with this in all these circumstances. And I think that was a huge part of this episode. And I actually think they handled it reasonably well for a show like this. Also very realistic. I mean, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, having a newborn, and then not being able to go outside. Yeah. And there being a zombie apocalypse. And there being a nuclear apocalypse. Right. And you're living in a submarine. And you had a stillborn baby last year. Right. Uh, you know, that's a lot to pile onto somebody's psyche. Of course. That I'm not, I'm surprised she didn't go on a killing spree, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. Uh, starting with herself. Oh, and God. then moving on from there, knowing, uh, you know, what we know about zombies and such. Right. Uh, yeah. I'm, uh, you know, her, her mental state. Yeah. Understandable. Perfectly, you know, reasonable. Absolutely. So, I, I would, I'd be worse. To totally. I'd be worse off than she was. I mean, for sure. mothers and parents, they have all kinds of emotional struggles with children when they're, when they're newborn and that's in real life. And, and we don't have to live thankfully in a nuclear zombie apocalypse, you know? So completely understandable. I felt her sort of emotional turmoil and it starts at the beginning of the episode when she, she goes out looking for formula, right? Or baby or anything to feed the baby. And she's in that drugstore 
after she encounters those or hides from those two people in there, uh, you know, she, she comes out and she's just screaming into the nothing. I don't want to be here anymore because things yeah. are just not going really well. And, you know, and then that scene you were talking about where she's struggling to deal with the crying baby while Morgan is out, you know, it was all pretty upsetting to watch, to think about what she was going through. So, um, you know, it, it was, it was pretty tough. And then when they get to this deserted town and the car breaks down, she kind of just gets out of the car and tries to leave. She's just like, screw this. I can't do it anymore. I'm I'm going to leave. She is struggling to even stick with the helps that she does have. Right. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's rough. It is really rough. Um, and it may, it makes sense too. Cause people yeah. that are, uh, you know, when they go too deep in the ocean, and they go to, or underwater and uh, they get uh, nitrogen narcosis. It's like being drunk. Uh, you know, they do strange things. They start taking off their scuba gears. Like, fuck this. I'm not breathing this shit anymore. Uh, you know, that's not a good thing. And then people that are stuck in uh, uh, very cold temperatures when they're starting to freeze to death, just, just about when you're uh, just about to die from fucking frostbite, you start getting really, really hot or feeling like you're really, really hot. And you take off all your clothes yeah, because you're too hot and then you're, you're dead. You know, our brains are pretty fucked up. Like we're not quite, well, first of all, we're not from here. Uh, I've established right. that. Yes, of course. So, you know, dealing with, uh, dealing with shit that happens on this planet, uh, we're not equipped to deal with in a lot of situations. So, uh, you know, it's like taking the mask off. It's like, you know, I'm out. And we had the same thing with Will in the first episode. Right. When he, he kicked over that, whatever the hell he was cooking, like, and he started crying and stuff. That's understandable too. It's like fucking zombie apocalypse combined with a nuclear apocalypse. You know, fuck this shit. I'm out of here. You're I'm gonna, not dealing with this. You're going to lose some hope. You're going to lose the will to continue. I think now Morgan never really loses that will, but at the same time, I don't think Morgan was all that sympathetic to her all the time. Like he, you know, he was doing what he, he could, but, uh, and I get it, it's kind of a touchy subject here, but at one point Morgan mentions that he lost a child too, you know, implying that this is hard for him as well. And I'm not trying to say it wouldn't be, but uh, I do think it's a little different. You know, it's been a lot of time and um, he didn't give birth to a stillborn baby and so on. So all of that just kind of piled up for me to really feel for, for Grace in, in this episode a lot. And then you factor in the idea that Mo, baby Mo, isn't the biological child of either of them, right? And they've sort of been stuck with this, with this kid, which should make no difference at all. But in actual fact, maybe it does a little bit. I, I don't know. But uh, I also just wanted to see them get along and be good parents. And the fact that it was not going very well Totally understandable, but also really upsetting. Yeah, we got it in the end, right? Uh, yes. At the end of this episode, by the time we got to the end of this episode, everything was fine. It's true. Which is nice, you know. They they at least uh, it was a hard it was a hard row to hoe, but we got through it, and uh, in the end, uh, you know, we found uh, the Millennium Falcon's secret compartments instead of people. They had uh, right. powdered milk. Yeah, that's great. right. That's right. I don't know. I mean, do submarines have secret compartments like that? Maybe. Oh, they, they store fucking food everywhere. Yeah, probably. Like they shit. They you've got friggin' turkeys uh, sleeping with people in their bunks, kind of things. Like when when a submarine is leaving, you are uh, there's shit 
everywhere. Like they, every nook and cranny <laughs> either has a torpedo or some canned food in it. Yeah, absolutely fair. everywhere. So if there's a if there's a, a gap, they put food in it. Yeah, I guess absolutely. You, I mean, if you're gonna take something, you, you need a lot of food. You need to know exactly how much food you need, actually, if you're in a submarine. So yeah, and a lot of torpedoes. They got those freaking hanging out everywhere too. Yeah, of course, torpedoes and canned and powdered milk. It's all you need. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and if I know anything about uh, submarines, cigarettes. They, uh, for some reason, they, they, they uh, probably not anymore, but they did at one point, like in the 80s, uh, they smoked down there. Oh, that seems like a terrible idea. They had $3,000 ashtrays that went in submarines because when they broke, they broke into three big chunks. They didn't shatter into tiny little glass pieces. I'm sure they had plastic ones eventually, but, uh, uh, you know, they had special, they had specially designed manufactured uh ashtrays yeah crazy bastards it it feels like going in a submarine requires as much technology as going to space probably oh yeah absolutely if not more because uh you know instead of uh, just bringing all the air that you need uh the submarine manufactures it all its own and uh you know a spacecraft they very very rarely put a nuclear reactor on a spacecraft because uh that would be bad because you know you're going up to space Spaceship blows up, spreads nuclear waste all over the goddamn place. So they probably won't do that very often. Right. Well, hey, man. Under the ocean, no problem. Just freaking nuke that shit. Who cares? Yeah, who cares? If I know anything about humanity and its relationship with the ocean, nobody gives a shit. Yeah, that's certainly the way it seems. Now we're just filling it up with plastic. Yeah. Which, uh, did you donate to that charity? There's a charity going around for uh, donating. They want to raise $30 million for uh, to, to remove 30 million pounds of plastic from the ocean. What's oh, that I, from? Team I Seas. I, I didn't anyway, hear about it. Anyway, go to teamseas.com and donate. Okay, good plan, good plan. Uh, let's see. Back to Grace and Morgan. Um, it, it all, I guess, starts to come together for them a little bit. There's this scene where they... You know, Grace is kind of saying that she doesn't believe what Morgan wants to build is possible and what he all he wants to build at this point is somewhere safe for them to live. Right. And he mentions he just wants to hang out with the one he loves and yeah. raise a family. Well, he mentions this scenario of them sitting around a table with the woman he loves and getting angry with their kid because he's reading comics instead of talking to them. Right. And he's like, that's that sounds like a very normal, straightforward family situation. But she's like, nope. That, you know, that's, that's not going to happen. Look where we are. We're at the threshold of hell. We're not going to be sitting around a table reading, you know, ang- being angry at our kids because he's reading comics. So I had that very scenario tonight. Did you? Well, no, he wasn't reading comics, but I'm sure he was doing something else that, that distracted him from the table. Yeah. Come back to the table, eat some more. Yep. Get back here. You need to eat. <laughs> I know what that's like. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, what about this, uh, what about this other this other couple that thinks that Mo is their baby Emma, but it turns out their baby Emma is in a suitcase, and I'm glad they didn't open that suitcase. I would hope that the baby is a zombie. Is that weird to say? Because the other option is not great. Oh, well, I assumed the baby was a zombie, but I don't even yeah. want to think about the, the fact that it might not have been, but it was. I'm pretty sure yeah, it yeah, was. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. That's the only acceptable solution to that particular uh, image. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, anyways, they they ultimately end up killing the, the dude. I think his name was Fred. 
and uh, leaving B, who was the other woman, and uh, and and moving on in the car. But the other well, Fred important... was trying to kill Mo, right? Yeah, because uh, you know how did the other baby die? And then uh, Fred is there trying to you know Shh, be quiet, be quiet, and uh, you know having to murder the baby in order to you know not attract more attention. So they had to kill Fred. They had to kill Fred, hundred percent. Had to kill Fred. Um, and is it is it right after that that we get the scene where Grace finally is able to sing to uh, to Baby Mo? And it was one of my favorite scenes in the episode because there's chaos erupting around them. You know, there's zombies outside and they're sliming themselves all over the door. Uh, and you know, Fred almost just about tried to kill Mo, and then she's able to sing to him or sorry, her finally, and. The episode kind of goes quiet-ish for a second, slightly peaceful for a second, and it's just her singing to the baby. And it was her moment, Grace's moment, of of coming around to this whole situation and realizing that she is able to care for this child. And the way it was depicted on screen, I thought, was, was kind of nice. So like you said earlier, we kind of got there in the end, and this was the story start of that end i think over the hump they got over the hump over here the hump. and then they uh they got the check mark at the end they did story arc you know you got the, the the hump of the uh the dilemma that they're trying to uh they're trying to uh, overcome and then at the end there's like an upvote uh, an up uh, uptick of uh, happiness <laughs> an upvote of happiness right and they lived happily ever after kind of thing kind of yeah uh that's yeah but nobody right. ever does right even like prince charming and uh whatever he, uh, whoever he decides to, to marry, uh, you know, they walk off into the sunset and they lived happily ever after. I don't think so. They met like 14 minutes ago. Mm. Uh, you know, they don't even know each other. They're like, gonna, how can they possibly live happily ever after? They're gonna have There's going to be some trials out. and tribulations, some shit to work out. Yeah, for sure. Even if they stay together, there's going to be some shit to work. Yeah, that's right. These things are hard. I love you. Uh, you have the right size feet. You know, that's all well and good and you might be in defeat. That's fine. But I don't think that, uh, you know, uh, a, a long lasting relationship that does not make. I guess not. Well, they got some work to do. That's all right. Yeah. So listen, the, the other, the final thing that, that sort of happens in this episode that is important is the glowing red eyed guy shows up on the street. Morgan shoots him a couple of times and he backs off. <laughs> He's like, oh, I I guess I don't like that very much. Yeah. I should back up a bit. Maybe I shouldn't just stand here and ignore the guy who says, if you take another step, I will shoot. Turns out he did shoot multiple times. So this is Josiah LaRue. And it turns out that it is the twin brother. So yes, we have a twin brother on the show now of a formerly, well, a, a dead character named Emile LaRue, who, if you recall, Jason was the hired assassin that Virginia hired to take out Morgan last season. Uh, and that guy's dead. And But his twin brother has his head in the box. We, I remember seeing that happen. And um, he seems to be another antagonist on the, on the episode. But we don't really know where he came from or why or how he got that head in the box or anything like that. But here he is. Fun uh, and weird yeah. and... Completely ridiculous. And I mean, unnecessary. If he, if he it... had, and well, if he would have had a brain transplant, that would have made more sense. Just, you know, make it a woman and transplant, uh, what's his name's, you know, zombie brain into her head uh, and have it be complete success. Uh, and therefore the motivations there to hunt down Morgan. 
to uh, to kill him for killing her slash him. The thing that I noticed that I thought was really weird is, well, other than all of it, like it's, I just think it's weird to bring him back. You know, we, we have the conflict with Strand clearly, uh, and we have other things going on. We have the Alicia mystery. Do we need this guy coming in to be some sort of antagonist? And I don't know. It doesn't feel like we do, but if you noticed, so Morgan and Grace and baby Mo left the sub with the dog. They had the dog with them. I don't know if this dog has a name. I can't remember. Yep. At the end of the episode, the dog, and I think it's the same dog, is with this Josiah character. So did well, he? Well, that's where he got the dog, right? He, he stole the dog. Yeah, he took the dog. Wait a minute. Morgan, that's where he got the dog. Morgan, Morgan t- took his, took his weapon and his hat and his horse and his dog. He dressed up like him for sure. Did he take the dog too? So now Josiah's got the taking the dog back. Oh, okay. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, all right. I just, I forgot about that. I th- I just thought he, he came and stole the dog, which I'm like, that's weird. But okay, that makes a little more sense now. So some people steal dogs. Oh, I know. I know. all the time. I know. I guess so. But it seems strange within the context of this story, but not so much anymore because I forgot that the dog came from a meal. So maybe he just came to get the dog back and he's going to leave them alone now. I No, he can't do that because if I've learned anything from, uh, Aaron Sorkin, it's, uh, you establish the characters, uh, you put them in a situation and then you make the situation worse. Right. Right. So we've got to, we have to add a little bit of complexity here. We've had a, you know, we've got a, a nice plot line going here, uh, and we need to make it worse somehow. So we add another random element in there to just fuck shit up more. Yeah. All right. Fine. It's so. like John Dory senior coming in. Like there's no reason to have that guy in the, in the show at all. Right. It's just, it's adding complexity. Because you can't just have a simple A, then B, then C, then D, and then have everything wrap up by E. It's like, no, you need friggin' A7, and then you need like a, an E minor in there. <laughs> Make it a chord progression. Why not? Yeah. So you, you, need, to, you need to really throw in some, some shit. Okay. Well, speaking of John Dory Sr., that brings and it's like, us- sorry, I'm going to bring it back. Just one little, I'm going to make it, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to tie in Michael Bay if I may. Uh, so the difference between like a Michael Bay movie and like, uh, let's say men in black is that, uh, men in black, you have a situation and then the situation is fucked up and then it gets resolved. Uh, in a Michael Bay movie, it's a, it's a situation it's fucked up, but there's a random element, like somebody's smoking a whole bunch of pot and that just, uh, makes things a little bit weird. Uh, there's always an element of random shit in a Michael Bay movie, any situation, uh, that Michael Bay puts his characters in, there's going to be something else going on that is just messed up to just fuck with people's shit. And so that's, uh, it's a kind of a lukewarm uh, you know, review of, uh, of Michael Bay. I'm not saying it's great. I'm just saying that he knows how to make some shit fucked up. And that's the approach that fear of the walking dead is taking. You're saying, yeah, they're just, you're at in it's, uh, you know, and when I watched masterclass, uh, Aaron Sorkin talking about writing, it's just, it's his style. It's like you, you establish everything, oh. you put them in a fucked up situation, you make it way worse. And then they have to not only solve the situation, they have to solve this other situation as well. And then uh, it at least adds some interest to it. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I guess that's that's what they're doing here. But John Dory Sr. So the third episode is called Cindy Hawkins. And this one is all about June and John who are 
in Teddy's bunker, if you'll recall. Yep. They jumped down in there just as the nuke was going off. And for the first bit of this episode, it's a little bit of a day in the life kind of routine type thing. And while this was my least favorite episode of the three, I think by a lot, uh, I did enjoy the way they depicted the monotony of the days going by a little bit, right? They get up, they do the same thing every day, they check the radio, they mark a day off on the chalkboard, they go back to bed, and they even say the same things to each other, you know, over and over as they're doing this. Uh, but we learned through this that they plan to be there for a full year, 365 days, they're tracking it, and as we talked about before, they get up to about day 70 or 69, and... That's kind of what we see. Now, the problem with all of this for me is John Dory Sr. Because I think it's too soon. Too soon for what? Well, I'm still kind of upset about losing John Dory Jr. on the show, who was probably the best character we've had for a long time. And I just don't feel the same way about his father that I did about him. I feel like John Dory Sr. is the show dropping in a cheapo replacement, kind of the same character but older, and they had to do it because Garrett Dillahunt wanted to leave the show. They respected that. He did. And instead of just moving on without him and telling the story without him somehow, they're like, we'll just invent another John Dory and put him in here. And people will care about him, right? Well, I don't. And I don't think what we saw in this episode, his emotional journey, all of the stuff he went through, I just didn't care about it. And I wanted to move on. And I wished June was in there, well, with John Dory Jr. Or if he can't be around somebody else. I'm trying to figure out how I could possibly disagree with you more. And huh. I can't. I love, this is my favorite episode. No. And, uh, because... Well, if you're going to drop somebody in, uh, you're going to drop in Keith Carradine and everything is going to be all right. I love Keith Carradine. I've loved everything I've ever seen him in. Uh, I had no problem with, uh, with, you know, John and June's, uh, you know, might as well be John and June Cleaver, uh, you know, going through day in and day out. She's doing the sewing. He's doing the cycling and the drinking. Yeah. <laughs> and he's doing the drinking and he's doing the drinking and he's doing the drinking. Yep. And then, uh, and then, you know, shit goes sideways and they find the murder room, which sets him off because he's been hunting this guy for decades, never been able to find this thing. It's, it's the one thing left on his plate that he wasn't able to solve or figure out. He has, a, you know, unresolved issues with this particular uh, place. <laughs> so finding that secret room, it's all that whole journey that he went on and then, you know, getting the, the DTs, the detoxes from uh, the lack of the drink. Uh, it all kind of made sense to me. He started hallucinating. Uh, I'm not sure if that's part of the DTs, but it might be part of uh, John Dory. Uh, you know, he had the, uh, the you know the dead dead girl uh, talking to him and yeah. telling him, you know, you got to find, you know, <laughs> she's fine. Sure, she's unconscious and everything, but you know, I'm dead. She's alive. You solve my problem first. I'm like, that eh, seems like the opposite. You don't solve the living problem first before you solve the dead problem. Uh -huh. But whatever. She's a hallucination. She can have her own opinions. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so uh, I like this episode. I liked the, uh, the fact that the only thing I didn't like, okay, so 
I'll get to the only thing I didn't like. But the this particular episode, finding the secret room where he was embalming people alive, yeah. and the whole reason that he was getting trying to get what's her name into this uh, into this bunker, he didn't want to save her. He didn't want to. He wanted to do it again. You're trying right? to he Dakota? wanted to. Yeah, Dakota. Yeah. He wanted to get Dakota into the uh, into the bunker so he could do this one more time. While you know something to do while we're waiting for the uh, the bombs to uh, uh, you know dissipate so we can go out to this brand new world. Yeah. So it all kind of tied together for me, and I was fine with John Dory. I didn't think of him as a discount John Dory. I thought of him as a, a different character with his own trials and tribulations. Sure, he seemed like a substitute last season, but I think he, uh, I think this John Dory is is definitely growing on me for this particular in this episode. I love this episode. I, I got no problem with Carradine. You know, like he's good and and so on, and and that's it. But I. I just can't get on board so quickly and so easily with uh, this John Dory replacement and the alcohol thing too. Like, was that introduced out of nowhere? Was there any indication last season that he had a drinking problem or because I felt like it was, it was just put in here to kind of enhance or (laughs) not an enhance isn't the right word, but like force him into this situation where he can't perform his duties and he's hallucinating a little bit and, and they need him to be talking to this dead girl and have her convince him to go outside when it's obviously not safe and stuff like that. So that just felt ham fisted to me too, putting in the drinking problem, his, his past torment uh, of not being able to find this girl. um, That's fine. And it, it, it's, it, I can see it being part of, of this character, uh, but I couldn't get past the fact that, that I just didn't want to see him at all, really, and, and I don't know. And, and I also had this feeling that Teddy is dead. Uh, I want Teddy to be put behind us. Let's, let's look forward, not backwards. And well, I, we can do that now because he solved it, right? He solved his mystery. He yeah. solved his drinking problem. He's, you know, everything's all happy and good now. His, uh, everything that he was holding on to that was causing him pain, yeah. uh, has, uh, has been left behind. So I think we can, we can move on now. We can move on now. Right. But it, I, I mean, it, it didn't really work all that, that well for me. So it's really to me, I'm sorry, but it sounds like a you problem rather than a, a show problem. Well, it could be, it could be. I mean, I'm, I'm not ready for this new John Dory. I wish he wasn't there at all, frankly. Oh, well, I want the old John Dory back too. Like, yeah. No, no doubt about it. But, uh, you know, if you're going to replace John Dory, uh, you do it with Keith Carradine. And that's tough. It's tough because I it's like tough. them so both so much. Yeah. I don't want either. I want them to be together as father and son and, you know, throw a ball back and forth. And, well, uh, I, I could have preferred uh, Walk that. through a field and hold hands. I think that would be nice. <laughs> sure. Like, I mean, I would have. Uh, like Rick did with Carl in that uh one episode. I'd have preferred uh, if they were both still around. I mean, I'll take that for sure. Um, but I got two emails here, one from, you know, Tallahassee, and he says two thirds of the episode was an unnecessary, unnecessary cul-de-sac. Get on the radio and Victor comes to save them. End of story. The laying to rest of the ghostly dead girl metaphor while simultaneously rehashing the are you imagining this trope was, to use your phrase, padding. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I get what he's saying there. Uh, it's like I wasn't going to say that it was filler or padding, but 
it was used to create the conflict between him and June a little bit and get him outside. Uh, and they had to get him outside so that they could get rescued or whatever. And then Jennifer Minneapolis, to return uh, to her, she says, I was excited to see June and John Sr. in Teddy's underground school bus bunker, and I really enjoyed the sort of daily grind stuff we got. Then, or they really seemed to be getting along well down there and had these nice little routines. But that whole, I have to find this murder victim right now during a nuclear fucking holocaust thing was downright mental. Keith Carradine came off as a B-movie actor and that set above ground was positively Plan 9 from Outer Space. Oh, it was Planet Hell. And that's the big thing that I really hated about this episode is that as soon as they stepped outside, yeah. it was absolutely Planet Hell. If I described Planet Hell to you before, uh, Star Trek, uh, every time they left the Enterprise, yeah. they went to this one uh, soundstage that they made, they set up to be whatever planet that they landed on and right. it was always way too fucking hot and they called it planet hell <laughs> this was planet hell yeah like it was absolutely a sound stage that was set up to look like uh, a, a cheap uh you know location uh and it did not work did no. not work no i don't think so uh the the thing the part I hated most about them being up on the surface is when he goes up there and he ends up in a gunfight with the stalkers. Now we haven't even talked about the stalkers yet, but they yeah. play into all of these episodes a little bit. But they're this group, this unknown group, another unknown group out there. I feel like they're kind of Fear the Walking Dead's version of the Reapers, uh, but who knows? I don't know. But he, they're these heavily cloaked figures. We never really see any faces. But they, they show up in the episode with Will and Strand. They show up in this episode. And um, I don't think they show up in the Morgan episode, but they're around anyways. So John goes out and he ends up in this gunfight with them. And he initially can't shoot because his hand is shaking so much from the alcohol uh, withdrawal, right? And then I, God, I just hated it so much. We get this scene where he, like, it focuses on his hand. He's looking at it and suddenly it all just solidifies up and then he's able to like pick them off one at a time like the perfect shot that he is and i just thought it was so cheesy you know okay that was pretty cheesy so things like that kind of bothered me and maybe there wasn't too much that was that obvious but yeah i and then and then that's it and then one of the stalkers gets down into the bunker and he has to go and rescue june who he's left trapped under a piece of wood well, that's what uh, that's what the the, uh, the apparition told him to do, right? The hallucination uh -huh. was to, you know, she's alive, I'm dead. Solve my problem first. Uh, maybe we should deal with the person who's alive first. Yeah, I I think so. I think so. But I mean, June seems okay with it once he comes back, and uh, then they decide to leave the bunker. Um, but before they can do that the bunker caves in and they're trapped under the dirt. Now it caves in because apparently the stalkers are up top having heard them on the radio and they're trying to like break into the place and it's causing dirt to fall and causing it to collapse a little bit. And that was another thing that bothered me. I'm like, this is a frigging underground nuclear bunker. You think some guys up on the, up on the surface with some shovels are going to cause that much damage to it? I don't think so. They're going to need like digging equipment and, power tools and things like that so yes maybe no depends on like Come this on. thing was kind of ramshackle 
right? It wasn't a, a professional steel underground bunker. It was, uh, you know, there was a bus and then some cinder blocks. And, uh, I mean, it looked like it had a, uh, uh, it had an uh, emergency exit, which is smart, but, uh, it was pretty ramshackle. So it only had a one thin steel plate on the top. Uh, you know, they could get through that, uh, fairly easily, but I don't know, but just shovels, they'd have to have some kind of equipment to get in there. But, uh, it didn't bother me that much. I, I mean, I, I think was, that you could get into this goddamn thing. I was thinking like backhoe and stuff to like dig down to it, but they didn't have any of that stuff. So if you can have a bunch of guys moving a lighthouse, you can have a bunch of guys <laughs> digging out a goddamn bunker. Oh, touche. <laughs> I didn't, that didn't occur to me. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, anyways, so what happens at the end? They go, they get rescued. So Strand rescues them, but we don't see any of that. They just wake up at Strand's tower and, um, John Dory senior is not super keen on being there, but June seems to be into it. And they sort of realize that this is the safest place to be right now, but, we don't really have too much context for how long it's been. I guess if they were in their bunker for 70 days and they went out right after that, Strand would have had to have rescued them pretty quickly. So it couldn't have been that much past the 70 day mark, I guess. Well, June says that you were out for like two days or three days or something like that. So it's only been a few days. Right. Okay. Anyways, they I don't know why there. he was out for a couple of days. I mean, the, 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 you know, a detoxing from alcohol does not knock you out. She nah. was suggesting that they drug him out of uh, reality for those couple of days. So I'm not sure why he was unconscious for a couple of days. And when, and anybody who's unconscious for a couple of days, uh, that's concerning. Oh there's, yeah. There's some concern there. There's just not just like, Hey, great. You're awake. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, yeah, you probably got some brain damage there guy. Uh, we should, we should probably get you some help. Well, whatever. He seems okay. They were rescued from the dirt that collapsed in on them, and here they are. Here they are. So now we have Strand and June and John all in one place together. We've got Morgan and uh, Grace back at the sub because they returned to the sub, and we have Alicia somewhere. And the people we haven't caught up yet with are like. Sarah and Daniel and Luciana and, and all of them. So I figure we're going to get some of that next time. Um, and I guess we're sort of going to have characters falling into one side or the other, right? Strand's side or Morgan's side. It, maybe it won't be that black and white, but that's, I feel like, kind of where we're going here. Do you think? Everybody's going to end up on Morgan's side. I mean, uh, even June and John Dory are at the location, they're at the tower, but I don't think they're on, uh, Strand's side. Well, it didn't seem like John was, but I guess we don't really know for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you can't look a gift horse in the mouth, right? It's, uh, you know, our bunker was collapsing, uh, and is full of bad memories and dirt <laughs> now. Yep. So, uh, you know, what choice do we have, but to stay here and take advantage of, uh, his hospitality, hospitality. And uh, let's have some spaghetti and with the uh, cherry tomatoes. Fuck it. Frankly, for a while, it seems like a pretty safe place. Yeah, from what we know so far. Yeah, so for a while, get the lay of the land, figure out what's going on, and uh, you know, depending on the situation, uh, either uh, hang out and enjoy yourself and find a nice parasol, 
uh, to walk around so you don't get too much sun on you. <laughs> That's right. Or uh, fuck some shit up and find some dynamite and blow a hole in something and run away. Well, we might get that too. I don't know. Well, okay. So any anything else about Cindy Hawkins this episode before we sort of wrap it up here? Well, we had Morgan uh, finding right. the bunker, right? So uh, Morgan was away from the, uh, how did Morgan know where the bunker was? Oh, he was following the radio signal. Right. So they, everybody heard them on the radio and Morgan just got there late, right? Strand got there first. Well, the Reapers, not the Reapers, the Stalkers got there first. Then Strand rescued them. Then Morgan showed up. And that was a great scene at the end, actually, because we had Morgan and Strand on the radio with each other. And I liked Morgan's attitude there. Strand kind of said, I'm building something here. Everyone's going to be safe, or at least the people I want here are going to be safe and well looked after. And Morgan said, I'm not going to stop you from doing that. But as soon as you do something I don't like, I'm coming after you. Yeah. Which I think is an interesting approach to it. He's like, if you, hey, if you're all good and you actually are helping people, then I have no problem with you. But as soon as you hurt somebody or do something that I don't agree with, I'm coming to kill you, Strand. Yeah, I mean, whatever happens between uh, a group of consenting adults is fine. Right. But as soon as you do something that somebody does not consent to, you have to have some punishment. Pay the price. That's the wrong thing to do, and you're going to pay the price. It, it reminded me of the, uh, you watch Space Force with Steve Carell? Oh, yeah, I watched the whole thing. <laughs> oh, the best part of that was uh, when John Malkovich was yelling, fuck you. You remember that scene? It was just he was yelling at the screen, "No fuck you, no fuck you." It was just absolutely brilliant. He was having a "no fuck you" conversation or screaming match with, uh, I think, the Russians, but I'm not sure. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah, okay. It was it was genius. It was the best part of the well, other than Fred Willard, it was the best part of that whole uh, uh, that whole show. Right. Fred Willard was by far the best part of that whole show. Well, Fred other than Willard. that, poor guy's dead, right? Yeah, he, uh, he passed away. Yeah. Shortly after, it was the last thing he did. He wasn't. Uh, wasn't around for very much longer after he filmed that, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. And then I watched recently Modern Family. I watched the whole run of Modern Family and Fred Willard was that in that. Yeah. Uh, and spoiler alert, his character dies. Phil's dead. I fucking, I fucking cried. Oh. Because Fred Willard, <laughs> his character died and it was just, it was so too soon. I was very upset by that whole episode. Yeah, because he spent time with his dad, and then he's, uh, and then he said, uh, "Little did I know, it was the last." I'm tearing up now. Okay, get it together, it's okay. man. It's okay. It, yeah, get it together. It's just, it's Fred Willard. You know. Yep. He's a treasure. He is. Well, uh, yes. So that was a solid way to end the episode. I thought, even though I didn't love most of the stuff leading up to that. But uh, there, there you have it. So it, I'm going to ask you a question, Jason. One, yeah. one word answer. Um, the, re, the, the I, I keep wanting to call them the Reapers, the Stalkers, this mystery, mysterious group of people that are ter- terrorizing everybody. We saw them in a couple of these episodes. Do you think we need them on this show? Yeah, absolutely. They're Alicia's crew. They're Alicia's crew. You think so? Yeah. Why no, not? I think they're just a random fucking group of idiots that we're going to just going to have to deal with. And it's just filling the show with bullshit when we have enough story to tell. Yeah, you're right. Why would, cause they went after Will, right? Which, uh, Alicia loves. Yeah. So Alicia wouldn't send anybody after Will, uh, to hurt him. So yeah, they're a bunch of random dipshits that are, uh, Th- causing extra 
shit fuck up in this. Well, I feel like they're the chaos factor, right? We've got Strand and his tower. We've got Morgan and his people. There's still things, some things to sort out with the other characters, but you can't go out without having to deal with the stalkers and that's the random that's the chaos element to all of this right you never know what they're going to do what's going to happen so i think that's why they're there and i don't like it i don't think we need them i would rather just focus on the primary conflict of the show right now and and deal with that but no there's always got to be something else going on we need a mystery as well Right, we well, need something. Well, so we have the random guy, or the, the 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 twin dude with the dog now, and his uh, brother's head in the box. Yes, going after Morgan. Yeah, that's right? a good mystery. It's not a mystery anymore, though. No. I mean, uh, it just it's we know who this guy is now. We know we can kind of guess his motivation. Uh, we it's, it's no longer it's a it's a chaos factor for sure. Right, but I don't think it's a mystery anymore. Okay, fair these, enough. These uh, these stalkers are a mystery. What the hell's going on with the stalkers? They seem to be well-equipped, well-armed, well-suited to deal with the situation at hand. What's going on with them? Uh, we need to figure that out. So it's, uh, it's, it's a mystery. Okay, what about this Padre thing? The note that, that Alicia leaves for Will and Fred and B mention it in the, in the uh, second episode too, this Padre. Yeah. Is, it a, is it a place? Is it a person? Is that where Alicia is? I mean, that's my assumption. That's for now. That's a mystery. It's a code word to get into the secret uh, sex party that uh, somebody's <laughs> having at a mansion uh, where everybody's wearing masks. You're thinking of that Tom Cruise movie, Fidelio. Yeah, I'm thinking of uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Eyes Wide Shut. And the password was Fidelio. Yes, I'm absolutely thinking of that. Why would you not leave that password lying around? But wait a minute. What you're saying is that Alicia is at a sex party in a mansion? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I guess so. I didn't, uh, I didn't really put that all together, but you know, why the hell not? Well, I, I can and see And these why two they... people were invited to the, uh, the, the two people in, uh, in the second episode that were rotting away and killed their own baby. They were invited to the sex party, but they couldn't make it because uh, they tried and, uh, got uh, driven back. B had no nose, man. Her nose had you know, rotted off. You know, if you got the password, you're going to be let in. I, you know, it's, uh, there's there's no accounting for taste. Yeah. All right. Fine. Accounting well, for smell, though. Get it? Get it? Oh. You've got no sense of smell. I see what you did there. <laughs> Anyways, Padre. That's, a, that's like a secret. It's like, uh, uh, you know, my dog has no nose. It's like, oh, how does he smell? Awful. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> Zing. I heard another dad joke. You want another dad joke? One more. One more. Okay. Uh, what does a gargoyle say when he sneezes? I don't know, Jason. What does a gargoyle sna say when he sneezes? Statue. Hmm, not bad. Not bad. <laughs> I'll try that on my kids. See if they laugh. Yeah. They All won't. Right, let me know. <laughs> but we'll see. My, my son didn't know what a gargoyle was, but my wife laughed. Oh, good. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. But I bet he knows what one is now. Yeah. We, we, uh, well, we didn't show him one, but we told him what it was. Okay. You could show him some. They're not all scary. No, they're not all scary. I mean, if... Uh, a gargoyle, you know the difference between a gargoyle and a grotesque? Is this a joke? No. Okay. Gargoyle uh, it actually funnels water away from the building. Ah. But if it's just decorative, it's called a grotesque. Okay. That's good knowledge right there. This is a bit of a rat hole, so we're going to move back to the show. All right. Well, the only other thing... Well, that's it, really. I mean, Padre, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. We, we don't know much about it. I feel like that's a pretty good mystery. At the same time, I don't feel like that is going to stay 
a mystery for very long, especially if we get an Alicia episode coming up uh, or or our characters like somebody's going to get there and and discover what what it is. So I don't know. We'll we'll have to see. Um, But that seems to be where we're leading for now. And if things get more complicated between Strand and Morgan, which I expect they will, that's going to be a big deal, too. So here we are. Cool. All righty. Well, I overall thought these three episodes were pretty good. Uh, it, it sort of reminds me of my feelings towards World Beyond a little bit right now, because I thought the first two episodes of World Beyond were were OK and then the, the episode three and four of that season, I thought were absolutely terrible. Uh, this case, I liked the first two, didn't really like the third one so much, but it wasn't as bad as I thought those two World Beyond episodes were. But the, the trajectory is similar for me. Um, I thought the whole thing was solid. I, you know, generally speaking, I thought all three episodes were solid, set up the, uh, the storyline for the season. Uh, I'm interested. Uh, and engaged, which is way different than uh, uh, World Beyond, which I had a hard time uh, engaging with. But in this one, I know who everybody is. Yeah. I know what everybody's motivation is. Good. I know what they're all trying to do. I know which is kind of redundant, but I know what uh, what where everybody is, <laughs> uh, generally speaking. So yep. uh, yeah, I'm on board with this season so far. Okay, well that's awesome. I'm I'm glad fear has come back a little bit. I mean. We got a long way to go in this season, so there's all kinds of all kinds of things can fall apart yet. But uh, I, it does make me happy that for for now it's it's doing all right. You know, I have one more call here from our friend Daniel. I forget exactly what he had to say, but we might as well finish with this. So, fear the Walking Dead. Do we start with the good points or the bad points? Uh, let's have a happy ending. Let's end on the good points. Bad points. It's nonsensical. It's all rubbish. They, they, they couldn't be living. They couldn't be doing this. They couldn't be doing that. Oh, it's just... What? Why? Why? This, none of it's possible. It, it's just completely ludicrous that the living where the nuclear bomb went off. Basically, on the hotspot. The good point? It's visually stunning. Great. It looks fantastic. If it was a separate, I don't know, Resident Evil film, I'd be over the moon with it. It's just that it ties in with everything we knew from the series before is just irrelevant. It's just pointless. So it makes this this series on its own, if it started here, would make more sense. But because we know they have a history, it's illogical. They are going to all Spock on you. The good thing is, Victor turning bad. It's good to have a main character turn to the dark side evil, and we know it for certain now, surely. If he turns good right at the end, I'll be fuming. So, May, if you've seen episode three, that would make a great separate story. And with no spoilers, I'm not sure you're going to do that one. But as a separate movie or short film, that would be fantastic. Again, makes no sense to the rest of all that we know and have gone on in The Walking Dead. Cheers, guys. Great show. Dan in Worcester, clocking out. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. So second caller of the night to use the word ludicrous, which I think just reinforces my feeling that you just have to put the ludicrous aside and and leave it alone and embrace the rest of this stuff on this show. And in that case, you might have an OK time with it. Uh, yeah, it was there was a definitely an element of ludicrous. 
Right. hundred percent. But I think if you can just put it aside, you, you, you're better off. Um, the other interesting thing that Dan said was that it's amazing how much of a different show fear feels like now than think about three, four, five, six seasons ago, right? If you think back to them starting at the beginning of the apocalypse in Los Angeles and what was happening then and what the character, who the characters were and what they were doing, and then they, they move into Mexico for a while and they end up at that dam, like that feels like a totally different show. It feels like ancient history compared to where we are now, more so than any other Walking Dead show and a lot of shows that aren't even Walking Dead related. So I thought that was just an interesting uh, no, um, thing to notice on Dan's point uh, call there. Absolutely. A couple of things. One, I could listen, Dan, I could listen to you complain about stuff all day long. Uh, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I can just absolutely. Uh, the second thing is, uh, yes, it does seem like ancient history and things have changed a lot, except for Strand. Strand is exactly the same as he was back then. Opportunistic, used people to get what he wanted yep. and enjoys the finer things in life. Like, remember his boyfriend had the boat? Uh, you know, why was he with his boyfriend? Might have been because he had a boat. Yeah. Kind, kind of thing. And he used, uh, shit. What was Alicia's brother's name? Nick. Way back when. Nick. He used Nick to get out of that. Uh, he was in a cage when they first we first met Strand. Yep. And he used Nick to get out. Like, he's been like this and using people for his own advantage uh, for quite some time. And has always liked the finer things in life. So this is just a, a direct A to B to C to Strand being the evil bastard that he is. Yeah. Love it. Love it. I mean, that's the one thing that that is sort of ties it all together from the beginning. Uh, and I agree with that. And I like that. Uh, as Dan said as well, it's great to see Strand as becoming the villain because he's always sort of teetered on that line a little bit. Right. And now he's fallen over to the to the evil side. I mean, evil's a strong word, but you know what I mean? And he ties it together. But other than that, feels like a very, very different show now. But all right. Well, that's going to wrap things up here for, uh, you know, Fear the Walking Dead season seven, episodes one, two and three. Next week on the podcast, we are going to cover the next episode of Fear. And uh, will there be two episodes of World Beyond by then? I, I'm, it's hard to keep track. So I think there Probably. might be. It's been a couple of weeks. We missed Mondays and then by next Monday, there'll be two. There'll be two. So I wouldn't mind getting caught up on all of those. So uh, then following that, we'll do two episodes a week as these shows progress. So next week, one more fear and two more world beyonds. I think there's some interesting stuff coming in world beyond. So I'm looking forward to talking about that. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that, that'll be fun. So, although I'll probably still have my chronological problem, but at least it's two different shows this time. So they don't yeah. uh, overlap yeah. the same way. Uh, cool. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to that. I hope you guys are too. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that, of course, by uh, going to our website, talkingdeadpodcast.com, clicking on send voicemail at the top and recording a message to send into us. You can also find us on Twitter at Talking Dead, where I've been responding to people and uh, tweeting a little bit more than usual. Not a lot, but a little bit more than usual. I'm working my way into it. And you can also send email to TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support the show, absolutely check out Patreon.com slash The Talking Dead. 
if you become a patron and you stick with us when uh, the Walking Dead main show comes back, we will resume our weekly you know, prize giveaway plan that we've got running for the duration of that show. Still lots more prizes to give away and your odds of winning one are, are pretty good. So, uh, check that out at patreon.com slash the talking dead. You'll hear more about that as we get closer to the main show returning in February. All right. Thank you so much, everyone. Until next week, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.